Hey, hey. Okay, so you guys know that I've moved my platform over to Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki. So everything is moved there. That's where I'm now housing all my parenting content. For a dollar a month, you can access all the episodes of my podcast, but no worries if you don't want to do any financial commitment at all. We'll continue to release selected episodes here on your favorite listening platform. And just so you know, I also put up free public posts and mini podcasts on that Patreon page. So all you have to do is head over to that main page, patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki, and you can see my free public posts and mini podcasts. Head over there to check it all out. And now on to today's show. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Well, hello. I am recording today, day after a huge blizzard here in Rhode Island, uh, Northeast. We got over three feet of snow. I don't recall the last time I saw that much snow in Rhode Island. <laughs> Luckily, I have a plow guy because my uh, driveway is a quarter mile dirt road. So here, what you do is you you hire your plow guy like around September and they just come on their own every six inches or so. So yeah, that'll be a, that'll be a hefty bill, but so worth it to wake up to a plowed driveway. (laughs) And I just went out to the chicken coop and cleared that. It's just a crazy amount of snow. Anyway, we never lost power. All is good. And I don't know anybody that did lose power. So yay. Today, I want to talk about a few things. I have a couple of questions. I want to talk about cajoling, bribing rewarding, excessive asking, begging, pleading, all these things that are suddenly quite rampant in my work, both in my parenting and my potty training work. So cajole is the most appropriate word. And in case you don't know what that means, I'm going to read the Webster definition. Cajole is to persuade someone to do something by sustained coaxing or flattery. Then we have bribery, which is worth reading the definition for bribery as well. Offering, giving, soliciting, or receiving any item of perceived value as a means of influencing the action of an individual. I think it's worth looking at reward too. Reward is an item given for an achievement or effort, which is awesome. Rewards are great. We get rewards. Maybe we get a certificate of student of the month. We might get the game ball for having good sportsmanship during a game or scoring the most. You want to be careful though, when we're talking about everyday life, like potty training. And I understand potty training is an effort. And I understand sometimes our kids do put a lot of effort into it. But when we start cajoling or bribing for daily activities like getting dressed, putting on your shoes, sitting down at the table, we run into trouble because now you are asking your child permission to parent them. So the thing I like about the word cajole is that this is what I see and this is where you run into trouble. Sustained coaxing, sustained, which means 
It's not effective. I go back to that meme that I've shared many times that I saw. It says, if you have to tell a child something a thousand times, perhaps it's not the child who is stupid. So if you are begging and you are doing sustained coaxing, then you're not being effective. And you're giving your child the opportunity to think they have a choice. And you guys know my work. I really want your child to have control of the things that they can control. I want them to have choices. I want them to be autonomous. I want them to be independent. But when we find ourselves coaxing all the time and offering too many choices, then we lose our power. We think we give them the impression that they have a choice. Now, it's also a weakened position because if I wanted you to do something, be like, oh my God, come on, let's go. This is going to be so much fun. What sounds better, that or... Oh, but please. Oh my God, you're you're so good at things. Like you'd be great at this and we could have so much fun. And don't you think you want to? And oh my goodness. No, 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 please. We'll just like, can't you even just hear the difference? And I don't, I didn't even have anything in my head about what I'm trying to get you to do. <laughs> but one sounds weaker. One sounds whiny. So if you find yourself begging, cajoling, whining yourself, you're being ineffective. And that goes back to that. We cannot ask our children for permission to parent them. And I I keep finding myself in my work coming back to that phrase because it's happening so often. And the problem is, is that your child, number one, you shouldn't do that anyway, because you're going to run into a whole load of crap. This is just the beginning of childhood. You're going to have different situations and different problems, you know, as they go through the years. But Guys, childhood's long. You got another 18 years of active hands-on or another like 16, 17 years. So you can't blow your wad now. (laughs) And if you're already asking them permission, then you haven't established that you are the parent. Number one, you're the parent. And I don't mean being authoritative and I don't mean being aggressive and power hungry, but you are the parent because you're older and wiser and you've been around a few blocks and you know how this goes and your prefrontal cortex is formed. You have long-term judgment. You have empathy. Hopefully you're working on your trauma stuff and you are not reactionary. That's why you should be in power. Not because they're littler and you're bigger, not because you said so, not because... You're trying to, you know, be this like, I have all the power in the house, but because you know better, your child doesn't have any of those skills, any of that brain development. So you can't ask them permission to parent. Literally stop saying, okay, we're going to go outside. Okay. No, don't just drop that from your vocabulary. Stop asking questions in general for something you need done. And this is my number one rule. A lot of you guys have come to me because of Oh Crap Potty Training. So you may be familiar But maybe you didn't come to me through potty training. But my number one don't do when you're potty training is don't ask your child if they have to go. There's so many other ways to prompt with a statement, a choice, a challenge. And that goes for everything. And I swear to God, I just realized this on the fly is those are the ways you can get your child to do something. Now, I'm a firm believer in the mom voice. I want you to cultivate a voice that means business. And when I work with my clients, I work on a walkie-talkie app, and we literally have to go through the voice. Because when I say firm, most people think I mean mean, that I'm being mean. So I go, 
No, it's time to leave the house. Put your shoes on right now. We're getting in the car. And people be like, oh my God, that's yelling or I'm being mean. No, that's not mean. You're regulated. As long as you're regulated and using your, I mean, business voice, your child will listen. And I hear this all the time in my work, which is mom has to beg, plead, cajole, offer rewards, offer big treats just to get the kid in the car in the morning. Dad does not. Dad comes along and is like, get your butt in the car. And the kid listens. We've talked about this before. It's because dads have a lower pitch. They almost invariably have a voice that says, I mean business. Yes. And they almost invariably use less words. Okay. So let's take a note from the men in our lives and be like, okay, I can do this. I can be low in my pitch. Females have a very bad habit that usually started early in life is we tend to ask things as a question almost all the time because we want to be social and we want permission and validation, right? (laughs) And, And I'm guilty of it too. I've really tried to train myself out of it, but you want to cultivate that voice. But if that voice is not working, you can do the same thing with potty training. You can offer a statement a choice, or a challenge, okay? So what is a statement? Get your shoes on and get in the car. Come on, let's go. That's a statement, right? Same thing with potty training. Come, let's go to the potty. It's time to go to the bathroom. You can offer a choice. Okay, do you want your blue shoes or your brown shoes? Blue shoes or brown shoes? Okay, do you want to go to the car without your shoes or do you want to go to the car with your shoes? (laughs) Which, you know, with three feet of snow may not be an option, but you want to offer a choice, right? Same thing with potty training. Do you want the big potty, the little potty? Do you want me to go first? Do you want to go first? A choice. Remember with choices, two choices. At this age, one thing or another thing. You can't even add a third thing in, you'll have choice paralysis. And then you can use a challenge. And of course, if your kid's in a mood or your kid is spirited or your child is difficult or you have that kid who came out of the womb with boxing gloves, challenges work great, you know? All right, I'm gonna set the timer. I bet you can't put your shoes on before it goes off. I'm gonna get my shoes on first. Yeah, you can do a challenge and that makes things go a lot smoother. But the minute you find yourself begging, Drop the begging. And especially with the cajoling, again, the word that gets me is sustained coaxing or flattery. And I see this a lot too, which is this over excessive, oh, you're such a big boy. I know you can do it. You do so many things that are so great. Don't blow smoke up their ass at this age. Like, yeah, they're skilled for sure. And we definitely want to give them high fives, fist bumps, like very sincere praise. We want to be reflecting back to them. Wow, you must be so proud of yourself. You did that so fast. We definitely want to use those things, right? But we don't want to blow smoke up their ass. And I think parenting's really going to skew these days. And this is one of the big factors because imagine being three and now thinking you're prince of the universe. They already do because they're self-centered because that's how they have to be, right? <laughs> Everything is, you know, revolves around them. I'd argue that we all think that. But You know, they already are. So that's not what builds self-esteem, you guys. Like blowing smoke up your kid's ass like that. Like, I know it's not necessarily blowing smoke up their butt because it's not like, I'm sure they are capable. I'm sure they do do things. But when you're using it in that manner, it's excessive flattery to get them to do something, which isn't cool. That's not real flattery. Your intention is something else. That's not a compliment. Yes. You're using it in a way that is blowing smoke up their ass. So don't do that. And again, We just don't need three-year-olds running around thinking they're God's gift to the universe. 
even though I know we think they are. So just be cautious of that. And it's super easy, you guys. Just catch yourself. Just catch yourself and be like, oh my God, I'm doing it. Oh my God, listen to my voice. Like sometimes I will even say to myself like, holy shit, I'm whining. Oh my God, stop whining. (laughs) All right, I had a great question and I have a very personal answer. And I think you guys like when I get very personal, I hope you do because I'm about to. (laughs) So a mama had asked that her son's father doesn't want to be part of his life. And she feels very bad about that. She doesn't know what to say. She doesn't know how to deal with it. She doesn't know what will happen in the future when people ask, other kids ask, and she just doesn't even want to say the word dad, even in her house. So this can be a big thing. And whatever your situation is, if, you know, I've worked with all kinds of situations, unfortunately, the kind where parents get divorced, get a new family, and then, you know, one of the spouses just can't be part of the family and kind of creates their own new life. I've seen dads who just take off, moms who just take off. So largely speaking, it's more of a biological father. I'll say biological father because that's not the same as a dad, right? And I think we all know that. And I don't want to slam our men in this episode, but largely speaking, it is the biological father who ditches. Occasionally it's the mom, but usually that's coupled with substance abuse or other factors that make it almost preferable that the person doesn't want to have contact. So my personal story. So I got knocked up the old fashioned way by having too many drinks in Napa Valley. And I have shared before that I donated my eggs to my sister. And I had, at the time I had donated the most eggs and I was 37 when that happened, which was not recommended because anybody over 35 is considered geriatric as far as fertility goes. I donated so many viable eggs that the doctor was like, hey, you're the fertile person. You're the reason why birth control pill has that 2%, that it's 98% effective. You're that person why condoms are 97% effective. So like, you should know that. And I was like, okay, great. Thanks. So even with some protective measures, I still got knocked up the old fashioned way because I am that 2%. And it was a fling. I was having a fling. I was actually going to leave San Francisco and move to New York. I had been a performer most of my life, even as a, when I retired from circus and went into social work, I still would do some performing on the side. And I was like, shit or get off the pot, move to New York. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to move to New York and be an artist because the opportunities in San Francisco weren't that great. So I was moving to New York and I decided to have a fling and I got flung (laughs) and I got flung with Pascal, which of course is the best thing that ever happened to me. And I was not interested in a super long-term relationship with this person. I really thought it was a fling. And so he did ask to marry me. And I said, no, I don't want to get married because I'm pregnant. And, you know, I said, I would love to co-parent with you. If you feel like you want to co-parent, that's cool. We can definitely do this together if you want. And he was a native Californian and there's a breed in San Francisco. And I think I was this way for a while where you get over therapied. You do too much therapy and you get sort of paralyzed with your own trauma, you can get stuck and you can be sort of a whiny bitch about life. And I think there's a part of therapy that you have to go through. I recognized it in my roommates, like everybody in San Francisco is doing some sort of therapy. So you talked about therapy, like we talk about sports or the weather. (laughs) 
And so I think what happens is there's a part of therapy where you have to become incredibly self-centered. You have to hate your parents. When you're learning boundaries, you have to think that everybody owes you boundaries without you even setting them. And so it's this very self-centered part of therapy. But hopefully if you have a good therapist, you kind of cruise through that part of it. But some people get stuck there. And so he was stuck there and he was kind of like, whiny. And he himself had been adopted. And he kept coming to me like almost in tears and saying like, I don't know if I can do this. I can't do it by myself. I don't know if I can be a dad. And I was at this point, I was three months pregnant and I was like, shit or get off the pot, man. Like we got six months. The clock is ticking here. I don't have time to take care of this growing being inside of me and take care of all of these feelings about it. And I didn't mean to be rude, but it was really overwhelming. And so I said, listen, you decide you decide, and then we can come back to it. You know, if you decide that you can't do it, that's fine. I'll do it by myself. And so that's what happened. He just never decided. And when Pascal was four months, I had contacted him and said, hey, you know, he looks like you. Do you want to meet him? And he came and met him. And it was just so bizarre and so awkward and so weird. And I was like, okay. And I just left things open. And that was that. So it was odd, but whatever. I've been single, you know, I've been single and it was fine since then. But of course, now your child starts to grow. They get to be a toddler and they, where's my daddy? Everybody has a daddy, you know? And I moved from San Francisco when Pascal was 10 months old. I was going for a home birth. And so I had, you know, when you go for birth classes, I had a home birth birthing class and I stayed very tight. That was my mom group in San Francisco. It happened to be that these people were, all of them, extremely wealthy. And in fact, one of the couples like was one of the founding members of Pixar. And of course that was really new at the time and nobody knew where it was going, but, (laughs) but very quickly escalated. And I knew there were many reasons why I left San Francisco, but one of them was to be back in Rhode Island with my family, where I knew my brother, my stepdad, and my dad would be strong male figures in Pascal's life. And I could just see him in San Francisco. I was like, you know, I was a social worker. I made good money, but I didn't make what my friends were making. And I was like, wow, we're going to run up against like socioeconomic barriers. And I, all my friends were married, you know, husband and wife. And it was just like, uh oh, I'm going to be in a circle where it's all very, very, very normal. And so that was one of the factors why I moved back to Rhode Island so that he would have these really strong male figures. Very early on, he would say, you know, where's my dad? Or he would confuse, you know, he'd call my stepdad his dad, or he didn't seem to notice it so, so much. And I was very fortunate because of my job. And then, of course, with Okra potty training taking off when he was five, that's when it really took off. I was able to be with him. So I do think one of the things that brings up a the single mom, where's my dad situation is a lot of times single moms have to work two jobs, you know, or they miss a lot or they work long hours. And so the child's with a caregiver and it's more noticeable. So then they're like, wait, where's the other part of this? Because my friends get to hang out with their dad when their mom's working. So I think that's one of the dynamics. And for us, that was alleviated because I could be at most of his functions. And in fact, oh my God, I think I told you guys this story, but I had my store when he was in preschool and it was the last day. It was like they were going to graduate preschool and it wasn't like a graduation thing. They would just go into a park and it was a potluck. And I said, okay, I'll bring whatever I was bringing, but I'm going to be late. And he looked out the window and he said, you're always late for everything. 
meaning like events like this, because I had to work, you know, my God, he didn't mean it, but talk about putting a knife in your heart, right. And twisting it. (laughs) So anyway, I was really fortunate that, oh crap, took off and I was able to be there. So that was one thing that helped. So I think it does help to, you know, if you have to work, there's nothing you can do about that. But I do think it's like, can somebody be at the events? Can your parents or a cousin or an uncle or somebody that can be there to support your child at these events if you're a single parent and you can't? But of course, I think what happened is it came up the most because other kids, particularly four, five, six, probably up to the age of 10, where kids are brutally honest and have no filter. And so kids would be like, how come Pascal doesn't have a daddy? Or where's Pascal's daddy? You always pick him up. And I just latched on to a phrase that contained truth and seemed to help, which was, you know, Pascal's father was not ready to be part of a family. So if he decides to be part of a family, he can come hang with us. But right now he just doesn't feel ready to be part of a family. And that took care of most kids. I did have a child ask me how. I could have a baby without being married. And luckily we were at the beach and she and I were walking and I said, well, why don't you ask your mommy that when we get back to the blanket? Because I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I know how I would answer, but I don't know how the mother wanted me to answer that. So I think that's the hardest is when other kids ask. And so that was my solution is, oh, his daddy wasn't ready to be part of a family. And that's okay for some people. I do think it is really important if you are in a situation where one parent doesn't want to be part of the family, takes off, is on drugs, has limited contact, whatever that looks like. I think it's really important to talk about it and to not brush it under the rug, because what I see happen often is kids build a fantasy life. So if you don't bring it up, it doesn't mean they're not thinking about it. They're just not saying something. And that's where you can get into trouble because then they're building a fantasy life. And we all know, like, even the best of dads are still human dads. Shh. I don't know what he's barking at. There's literally three feet of snow. There's nothing around. No birds are out. No animals. No kids sledding yet. The roads are still a mess. So I don't know why my dog's barking. You just does that. (laughs) It's like, why is my toddler having a meltdown? They just do that, right? So anyway, the kids will build up a fantasy life. And again, best, best dads still have flaws. But when a kid makes something up in their head, there will be no flaws. And then again, if they watch any media, there will be depictions of dads who help with baseball and dads who help with this. And Any dads that are listening to this, I can be assured, I know you are an active part of your child's life, but there are dads who don't do that. And there are shitty dads and there are shitty moms. And there are parents that don't live life as depicted in the movies. But we know that, right? Because nobody even takes a shit in the movies. (laughs) So I think it's just really important that you continually have the conversation, especially after somebody asks. So like if another kid asks at the playground, you know, where's Pascal's dad? I might say he wasn't ready to be part of a family. And then on the way home, I'd be like, hey, what did you think about that? Did that like hurt your feelings or did you have a feeling about it? And he would say, you know, I wish I had a dad. And I said, oh, I I know. I wish you did too. And 
And as he got older, I said things like, you know, there's no guarantee that he would be what you hope for a dad. I said, so you've been really lucky to have Pepe and grandpa and uncle Steve and, you know, and he'd be like, yep, I know. And we kept that dialogue open. And at various ages, it was different conversations. But again, I think the more important point is less what you say and if it's right or not right, and more that you have the conversation so they're not building up a, a a mythology in their head because that mythology will be crushed because even if the person comes back into their lives, they won't live up to the mythology, but also then they'll go on to be a parent and think they have to be this mythical, perfect parent. And again, I think it's probably obvious that it's, you know, if you, whatever, if it's the mom or the dad, make sure that that person has positive mom roles or positive male roles. I think we all know, you know, without being super gender specific, there's more of an epidemic of single moms than there is of single dads. As much as I love my, I work with a lot of single dads, there's far more single moms. So it's more prevalent for the dad to not be part. So, you know, make sure that they're strong male figures and watch your child. You know, we get into this trap as single moms of thinking our kids are going to communicate as females and they won't. So just be careful of that and know that sometimes they just need male figures to not have all their feelings and to not speak so much. (laughs) Cause that's what I find happens. Just men communicate so differently than women. I am shocked. Pascal can be in a car with his friends and they don't say anything for hours. And I'm so uncomfortable about it, but, but it happens. (laughs) And so, like, again, I said, you know, he had his Pepe, his grandpa and my uncle Steve. And now we hunt and we have a shit ton of male figures of various ages and political stances. And it's a really just cool, diverse group that he gets to communicate with. So that's what I have to say about that and my personal experience. I had another question about homeschooling. And so mama said she was going to homeschool and, you know, she's starting her child's four. So she's starting with like pre-K and her house is large. So she's going to set up a classroom. And she asked me about like, what supplies do you think you need to like have an enriched environment? Okay. And then she said that she was drawn to the unschooling sort of eclectic model of homeschooling as opposed to like strict curriculum that she was a type A. So. I think it's okay if you are planning on homeschooling. Number one, recognize that literally everybody homeschools. It's just whether you do it full-time or part-time, right? So if your child goes to school and comes home, it's not like you're like, oh, okay, you're completely done learning. We're not going to do any activities. Uh, Here's the television. You're all set. So everybody homeschools. And especially homeschooling before kindergarten, that's, you know, most kids go to preschool for like either some social time or for because the parents are working, right? So I don't think anybody is like, oh, preschool, let's go get some heavy academics in preschool, right? So you don't have to be quite so concerned. And the things that you need to know in preschool are the things that every parent teaches their child, but you know, not every parent, because there's bad parents, (laughs) but every parent that like, you know, has access to books and the internet, you know, colors, numbers, counting. At this age, I wouldn't set up a classroom I don't like that model personally. People do. I think it tends to work better if you have multiple kids. And what I do know is that the quote unquote classroom, I know some more of the religious homeschoolers have stricter things about this. There's one family that had like a school house in their backyard and the kids put on uniforms and went to the schoolhouse. And 
I don't know. I didn't choose to homeschool so I could recreate school at home. I chose it so we could have a lot more freedom in how he learns. But I think the problem with a classroom with one kid is I think that's not where the work is done. So homeschooling is done when you think it's not going to get done. (laughs) It happens in the car. It happens like right now because Pascal's a teenager. He's so good at math. I don't even have to help him. He's doing algebra two calculus. He's moving on. He can do it himself with Khan Academy. But because he's a teenager, he just shifted. He said, you don't understand, mom. It's so hard for me to do math at 10 o'clock in the morning. Like my brain isn't fired up. And he's been doing it. And he does it at 11 o'clock at night, which seems impossible to me. But he's moving on. He gets all those tests right, you know. So, hey, who am I to judge? So the thing about a classroom keeps you in the mindset of school. And one of the things I have learned from homeschooling is there's a process called de-schooling where you have to let go of whatever you've learned because homeschooling is just wildly different. I call it indoctrination because it feels like you were just taught it without any sort of choice or opinion. It's wild. And it's one of my favorite things about homeschooling is when my own buttons are pushed. For example, you don't have to teach subjects. You don't have to teach English, math, history, like especially in the elementary years, they all combine. They really do. And the idea, like so many people think you have to put in the same hours, like you have to go to quote unquote homeschool as school from nine to three. So much of a day in school is crowd control, line up, let's put the markers back on the pens, everybody go get a piece of paper. Like it's this like crowd control kind of thing. It's not the act of learning. So In the elementary years, it's really like if you do something formal, tops an hour. And most people recommend less than that. So the thing about a a classroom, an official classroom, is I feel like it keeps you in that school mindset. And especially with one kid, you're not going to have a kid sitting at the desk paying attention to you at the board like you would in school. It works differently. You might be on the couch. You might have a clipboard. You might be listening to music. You might be cooking. And he might be at the kitchen table. Now, it's awesome if you have a room to keep all your homeschooling shit because you will have so much homeschooling that it's ridiculous. (laughs) You know, to keep the markers, the pens, the art supplies, everything like that. I think for enriching, I would think less about um, homeschooling. How can I enrich my child's education? And I would think more of like, what would I do with my average four-year-old? Yeah. Because I think all of those things at this age are so rich, you know, sensory play. Oh, there's so many great Montessori pages. I'm going to try to have somebody on, but there's so many things you can do. Bottles with rice in them and just transferring, cooking, I would just think those things. I wouldn't start thinking of like, what can I do to help educate them? One of the things I feel really passionate about is our kids aren't empty vessels that we fill. That notion is antiquated as far as teaching, right? We don't stuff them with knowledge. What we do is we provide opportunities and we see where their strengths lie. And so I would say at this age, you know, pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, like go with what they are drawn to. If I was forced to say certain things, I am partial to maps. I love maps. So we had two huge maps on our wall, one of the United States and then one of the world. And I just found them super handy to have out because very often, you know, we'd be reading a book and I, so that's what I mean about subjects, you know, like geography used to be a subject. It's, I don't think it is a subject anymore because you won't believe how many people think Rhode Island is part of New York. And I'm like, no, that's Long Island. We're the smallest state. We are actually distinguishable because we're the smallest state. So 
I don't think geography is taught anymore. But if you're reading a book and the kid is from Georgia, you might want to point that out and point, you know, go to the map and show where Georgia is. And that can open up a whole lot of discussion. So I love maps. I would say have a couple of books in every room. Again, we've talked about it several times about like not having a library of books, especially if your child is overwhelmed, can't choose a story, or is just endlessly pulling them off the shelves. But a couple of books in every room is awesome. So they're always available. And remember, it may feel like your child doesn't want constant new things. Kids thrive on routine. And one of the best things you can do for reading is memorizing. So you want them to have these books memorized because then they start looking at the words and picking up sight words because, you know, they all memorize books, right? And then they flip the page. You're like, how do you know how to flip the page? Because you've read it a thousand times, right? (laughs) So I would say that a couple of books in every room. And then the next thing I would say that I would say is very necessary is a whole lot of tape and a whole lot of scissors because scissors and tape use those three muscles, the forefinger, the middle finger, and the thumb. They use those three for writing and that strengthens the hand. I also am a huge before pre-K, K, first grade, Do not ask your child to sit still if they can't. Do not ask your child to sit still if you haven't done big play. The reason I'm so opposed to early academics is because kids are being forced to sit and their cores are weak because number one, we have less risky play. We are going to have crazy weak cores because of the pandemic and, you know, sort of being stuck. So you want to make sure that their core is really strong. Your core is not your abdomen. Your core is your whole trunk. So there's so many exercises, not, you know, exercises, activities that you can do with your child that make them strong. But the biggest issue I see with people in pre-K is trying to make the child sit and write before they are capable. You know, an interesting thing, what we call yoga, if you go to yoga class, you, you say, I went to yoga class. That's not yoga. Those poses are meant to train your body for yoga. It's meant to get everything aligned so that your chakras get aligned so that your muscles can sit in meditation, right? So you build the strength and the flexibility so that your blood's flowing, the oxygen's flowing, so you can meditate, so you can be in alignment, and then you're happier. You are more spiritual, but the poses themselves aren't yoga. And that's how I think about big play for kids. It's training for the focus. It's training for the sitting. It's training for writing. And what's happening now is there's such this push for early academics that we're trying to make kids do those things before they've gotten strong or while they're weak and and before really they're ready to do so. And so that's what I would say is tape, scissors, big play, make sure that those things are getting done. Other than that, I think the supplies are going to be dictated by what your child wants to do. If you have a super crafty kid, you know, you're going to have a supply of crafts. With the tape, you could set up a dowel system and have all kinds of tape on it and your child has free access to that and scissors. So that's what you might want to set up maybe in the playroom. So like scissors and tape stay in the the classroom or the art room or the school room or whatever you call it. And uh, you can have the tape there and the scissors and let them go nuts on that. It's going to be dictated. If your kid's super crafty, you might have a, a classroom that's more crafty. You might have 
a kid who's super into dinosaurs, and then you're going to have a collection of dinosaurs. I am a big believer in the best thing you can do is read to your child, read, 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 and provide opportunities for learning words. And so the only thing that I did at my house, but this was, Pascal was in kindergarten and he was in first grade. So this had nothing to do with homeschooling per se as like official homeschooling, but I would put words on everything and and like laminate them. So, you know, window, table, chair. So you'd come into my house so that everything was sort of labeled because that just helps with sight words. And that was one of the things I did. This mama also said that she would love, you know, part of their whole plan is to get outside every day. And I love that idea. And she was wondering about gear. So legit, you guys, Blizzard and I was outside playing with Maverick quite a lot yesterday as the snow was coming down. Today, we went out already. Get the gear. The best thing you can do with your kid is get one of those shells, whether it's insulated or not. And even if you don't have a a ton of excess money, you can buy just the shell. So like what I wear for my snow pants is I just wear my rain pants that I hike in. And then I put fleece. I wear my fleece PJs underneath and I'm super warm. I snowboard like that. I go out in blizzards like that. So it's awesome. So you could get one of those one piece shells and those are the best thing, except if you're potty training. (laughs) But, um, but then what can, what can happen is under them, you can have all the clothes you need. So that's a great economical thing. If it's just a shell in the spring, when it's muddy, you can absolutely use that as well. I do have an episode on all the gear and I I can link that in the show notes. I'm a huge Hannah Anderson person and I, well, not anymore because it's not cool and Pascal won't do it, won't wear it. But Hannah Anderson is pricey, but because her sizing is European, things last at least two seasons, if not three. Also, if you can get Hannah Anderson on like thrift stores, be it online or in person, having owned a secondhand kid store, I can tell you that there is zero wear and tear. They launder so well. They're really a worthwhile investment. We still use all their pajamas because they are soft, super sturdy, well-made, and they never fade or it's just unbelievably high quality. So her clothes are pricey, but I think it's a, a worthwhile investment. The PJs will last you like two to three seasons. So it's really a a good investment. Other than that, whatever, I don't recommend particular brands. I do recommend going, like not just getting the thing at Walmart. You know what I mean? I do recommend like Columbia or North Face, you know, some sort of name brand because they tend to have better heat technology. And with kids and yourself, you can really have like a slim profile not that I want you to be slim, like meaning that you don't need bulk. It does, You don't have to bulk up anymore. And so that makes being outside so much more pleasant in the cold. If you're super bulky and you can't put your arms down and you're futzing with layers, it gets uncomfortable. Whereas if you can have under armor or some sort of under armor and then some sort of like smart wool layer and then a light layer of snow pants, and a snow jacket, they're super thin now because they have that silver technology in them, that heat technology, then you're just going to be happier because you have more flexibility and more range of motion. And so does your child. And then I would just always look for where is your barrier. So I just invested, not invested because they were $30, but I just finally got battery operated heated socks. And let me tell you something, it's a game changer. So I have what's called chill blain. So it's a vascular condition that probably I did 
tissue damage to my feet when I was in the circus, but my toes get not only extremely cold, like painfully cold, but then they heat up too fast and there's a bottleneck in the blood vessels. And what happens is I get sores on my toes and they can actually get bad and blister. I haven't had blisters yet, but you can see them online. And they're actually kind of an old condition back when you had fireplaces, people would come in from the cold and put their feet to the fire and your feet would get heated up too fast. Uh, For me, the solution is if I could just keep my feet warm, they will never have that you know, they won't get so cold and they won't have that blood vessel backup. You know me, guys. I love winter and I love being outside. So that was not an option. The number one thing they say is don't go out in the cold. And I was like, uh, how about no? <laughs> so I got battery operated socks and they are awesome. And I got thick socks to wear in the house because I usually wear like Birkenstocks in the house because I like my feet. The funny thing about this condition is it feels best when your feet are cold. So that was a mistake I was making. But anyway, all by way of saying That was a barrier. And so I did that. If your hands get cold, mittens, people always wear gloves and you have to keep your hands together. That's why mittens are so great. Use hand warmers. They have Marley's Monsters cells. I think it's Marley's Monsters. They're my reusable paper towel company, but you can go online. They have reusable hand warmers, you know, if you're worried about wasting the disposable kind. But figure out what your barrier is. If your neck is cold, get one of those over-the-head clavas. If your face is cold, get goggles and have something up to your nose. Like whatever the barrier is, if your ass is cold, I have something called an ass jacket. Well, I call it an ass jacket. (laughs) It's a skirt. It's an outdoor skirt. Every major outdoor gear company makes one and it zippers up. It's so cool. It zippers up and it's, it looks like a puff jacket, but it's a a slimmer profile. I have a smart wool one and it's awesome because it keeps your ass warm. So if your ass is always freezing or you wear leggings a lot, which I do, and I want to run to the market, I just throw on what I call my ass jacket. So, (laughs) but yeah, the biggest thing with gear is figure out what your barrier is. Kids love to be outside in the elements. There's nothing more fun than the rain, the snow. So if they complain that they're cold, if they complain that something got down their neck, expensive or cheap, there's gear to handle it. So just figure out what the barrier is and go for that. And everything, you can get things at thrift stores. You can buy ahead. Right now, February is the best time. We live near a Columbia outlet. And when I go there in February, it's like they're giving clothes away. The deals are just tremendous. So you might want to buy ahead for next year. You know, buy big so it lasts a couple of seasons. So that's my solution for that. And I think it's an admirable goal, especially if you plan on homeschooling, to get outside every day. It's so amazing to be out in all the elements and to not be subject to having to wait for a nice day. You know, one thing that does change with homeschooling, though, is that you really do have the luxury of like it might be a really beautiful day. And Pascal and I will be like, yeah, but we need a break. We need to rest. We need to nap today. (laughs) So so it's like you're sort of upside down from the rest of the world in that way but it's kind of cool. All right, you guys, that's all I have for today. I hope that was all helpful. As always, I love your feedback. I love your questions and I love your patronage and I appreciate you. All right, you guys rock on as always and have an awesome day. Okay. Bye everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. (laughs) You can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private 
sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki. And I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.